Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through. That is hating their nine to five and living only for the weekends. Today, I speak to someone who quite honestly makes my interest in cars look like my passion for washing dishes. Uh, He is an absolute car nut. Well, to be fair, I guess you have to if you owned a Pagani. Adrian Harris set up Opia in 2006, a specialist marketing company and builds up to a massive global business employing 120 staff. In 2015, he sold Opia for £30 million. Not bad for someone who left school with three O-levels in English and maths. Here's a few teasers from today's podcast. Five-car garage look like? Um, it's probably going to be your most difficult question, uh, to be quite honest. <laughs> you know, as I've said before, they were the first sort of like um, generation of parents to move into middle class. For, for me, to then be spending nearly £2 million on a Pagani... Um, I didn't know whether she would understand it. Um, so I, I sent her an email to, um, <laughs> rather than get shouted at on the telephone. And she replied to me, um, and I'll, I'll read this um, personal email. Um, she's like, yeah. uh, um, I often wish Dad could have seen your success. He would have burst with pride just as long as he'd survived all the traumas along the way. It wasn't a smooth road to success, was it? You don't make that sort of money without taking risks and being good at making the right decisions. Enjoy it. You earned it. Love, mum. If my parents gave me some cash, uh, you know, for like twenty pence, pocket money, um, I could buy a bag of unpopped popcorn. Um, if I popped all of that popcorn, I could create carrier, sorry, um, dustbin bags of, of popcorn. I could then take that to school and sell it to people for a few pence each bag and turn my twenty pence into pounds. With that in mind, I'm so, so delighted to welcome Adrian Harris to the podcast. Aid, how are you? Um, morning, Mo. I'm really well, thanking you kindly. You? I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this, this Saturday morning. It's much appreciated. Um, Aid, I ask everyone this um, on the podcast. We're on episode 20-odd now. Um, what does your dream five-car garage look like? Um, it's probably going to be your most difficult question, uh, <laughs> um, uh, because uh, I, I, I use cars as um, my motivation um, to do well in my business. Um, so I set myself targets, um, and um, those targets then, um, part of the payoff, the reward, would be a car. <clears throat> so um, maybe I'll find it really, really difficult limiting it to, to five, because I'll be limiting uh, my, my potential, I think. Um, so I have this list. I've got a list today. Um, there's more than five cars on it. Um, but when I hit particular goals, you know, some of them will be replaced. Um, when I set myself different targets and things, some will stay. So, um, for instance, you know, when I, I told myself in the instance of when I sold my first business, if I achieved a certain amount of money for it, um, then I'll buy myself a Pagani. Um, and that's what I've done. But, you know, then, then my, my, my targets changed, my motivations changed and, uh, the, the Pagani was sold to buy a holiday home. Um, so I have a, a, a 1970 Porsche. Um, that's fairly precious to me. Um, it's a year of my birth. Um, and the reason I bought it is 
my father was a real car nut. Um, and I think that if he hadn't have had the burden and expense of me, um, then that would have been the car that he would have loved to have owned. Um, so I, I love it because it's values only really recognized by car enthusiasts. Other than that, people just see an old car. So it's not flash, um, but it's just a, a, a beautiful you know, 1970 silver Porsche. Um, my second uh, is a project that I'm working on at the moment. Um, so I bought a 1989 uh, Porsche Targa, um, and I'm doing a resto mod um, project on that at the moment. Uh, a a singer, we might say. Um, so I'm meddling on with that. I've been involved with it for two years now, and we're converting that into a 1989. It'll be a 1989 car, of course, still, um, but a carbon-bodied speedster, so full carbon fibre. Um, and, you know, upgrade brakes, suspension, everything. So it should drive like a, a reasonably modern car, but have, again, that old styling. Um, so it'd be, if you look into the detail, you know, you won't see that it's carbon fiber bodied unless you look closely at it. Uh, but it'd be appreciated by, um, car enthusiasts, but probably younger ones as well as, uh, uh you know, more mature uh, enthusiasts. Um, third car is a car that I've just secured. Um, so an AC Cobra. Um, I've gone modern, um, but it's a genuine AC car, so manufactured by the original AC. Um, uh, 378 Superblower, um, Series 4. So they build them in South Africa, the body. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah, and then they ship it to the UK, and that's where they do all the suspension and all this sort of thing. Um, but it'll have a COB chassis number, which is important. Uh, so there's a lot of replica cars, and that's fine, but... Um, this is the car that I set my eyes on. I've been watching AC for the past like 20 years as I've, I've tried yeah. to um, sort of stuff out. Um, and the reason that I chose that car was, for, uh, I suppose it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, because AC are responsible for this country's speed limits. I don't know whether you know that. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so in the, in the 60s, they were building a car for Le Mans, um, and there wasn't a track... Uh, uh, long enough for them to do top speed trials on, so they were running on the M1. Um, oh my god! In it too. Uh, so they were um, radared over 180 mile an hour in like, 1966. Whoa! Um, and there was a big outcry by the Daily Mirror um, and um, <laughs> um, before Parliament, and that's why today we have speed limits. Oh my god! Yeah, so it's a bit. Uh. Yeah, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but it's sweet. Um, but it's, yes, it, it was, that's what attracted me to the car, the, the story. Um, yeah. So, my car, like I said, it's a genuine AC build. It's got 650 horsepower, um, GM, um, LT4 V8 engine in it, um, supercharged six speed gearbox, sub seven second, um, 100 mile an hour. Um, wow. It's just wow. basically a great reflection of AC rule breaking. Um, I suppose my you know, risk taking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those are kind of all in the bag. Um, I've then, I then I, I keep my own Lamborghini Countach. Um, oh, beautiful car! Beautiful. Uh, it's my absolute favourite to look at. I, I can imagine it being terrible to drive, um, like a lot of the you know, the older cars. It's the um, it's the ultimate poster car, isn't it? In, your, in, your, in your bedroom, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, I've owned seven modern um, Lamborghinis, um, but this is the one I want to sit and stare at. 
Uh, as I said to you earlier, that I actually worked from my um, office. Uh, as, as I worked from my um, showroom, my, my office's show. Um, so if I'm going to sit at the desk and look at something, then it's a few test I want to look at. And then the other fifth car, which I, I, I do keep a close eye on the market and everything, um, is the Aston Martin DB5. Um, and that's mainly from like childhood memories of playing with the, the, the Bond diecast uh, models, you know, all the ejector seats and missiles and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I think it's a beautiful car. So, um, the best I have with it at the moment is a, a, a model on my, on my shelf. <laughs> so that's not be the five cars that I would um, have in a, a, a car showroom. Um, I drive an RSQ8 um, every day, um, and I love the Rolls Royce Cullinan. Um, I know it looks awful, um, but I'm not trying to make an impression of style. <laughs> I just think that's probably the very best vehicle for my you know, practical vehicle for my lifestyle. So I'm busy trying to configure one of those and get it right, and that'll be the replacement for my RSQ8. That's amazing. Where does um where does your love for cars come from? Um, my father was a, a, a motor mechanic um, in the air force, um, and I think it, it just must have been. You know, I think all this sort of thing. It's it's just over a period of time that it comes into you. And he used to take me to car shows. It was always forced upon me. I think is that if you we were driving along, and you saw a good car, you would know, wake me up to show me the car. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really be that bothered, you know, but. Um, clearly some seeds were planted. Um, and then when I bought cars, I mean, I'd, I had like horrible old cars, Datsuns and things. What was your first car? My first car was a Datsun Cherry. Uh, it was like not with CC um, thing that, that, that every time I brought it home, my father used to take to pieces. Um, he used to complain that he could see Coca-Cola written inside the, um, the, the, the cylinder heads. You know, he said it was just Jap crap and um, horrible but he used to take it to pieces as soon as it hit the driveway I wanted to go and see my friends and things and the wheels were off and he was doing oil changes and all that sort of thing <clears throat> um, but um, clearly you know like I say seeds were planted and I, I did have more of an interest in cars than I first thought Wow that's amazing um, I mean obviously uh, being, being being entrepreneur um, requires a hell of a lot of um, uh, mindset um, in terms of how you think about things, how you approach things, your approach to failure. Um, what does what does mindset mean to you, Aid? And, and how important has that been to your to your success? Um, I think I was. Um, I've got to give a lot of credit again to my parents um, that I was. That they always say, and my mother always reflects and says, "No, it just was the way you were." Um, I think that. The sort of uh, things that were things were built into me. Um, I was um, programmed a lot from a, a fairly early age. Um, <clears throat> my, my parents were um, from working class backgrounds. You know, they, they were the first generation to move into middle class. As I explained, my father was um, just in the air force, motor and transport division. And then, nineteen seventy-four, they bought a guest house in Newquay, which was close to where my father was posted. Um, so my father was still in the Air Force. He was still doing his you know, nine to five job. Um, and my mother was then um, managing the guest house. <clears throat> but I just remember that we all had to, you know, we all had to pitch in. Um, and I was never just gifted pocket money. Um, I was like, I, I peeled potatoes, washed dishes, you know, clean. Um, there was always 
I was always rewarded for my for my efforts. You know, my father used to come home from doing his his proper job in the military um, to then help my mum. You know, um, get the, the food on the plates for the twenty guests that we had, or you know, um, do jobs around the house. Um, and it, it was just a it was a it was a lifestyle um, where reward was recognised, um, and. I was taught to, you know, speculate fairly early on. Um, I was, I was, because we had access to a cash and carry because we were, um, in the guest house trade, you know, and having to buy bulk everything. Then if my parents gave me some cash, uh, you know, for like 20 pence pocket money, um, I could buy a bag of unpopped popcorn. Um, if I popped all of that popcorn, I could create carrier, sorry, um, dustbin bags. Of, of popcorn. I can then take that to school and sell it to people for a few pence each bag and turn my 20 pence into pounds. Um, and, and that was just the, 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 the ethos. Um, uh, you know, even up to when I like took my driving lessons, my father taught me to drive. I had to dig an hour in the garden for every hour of driving lesson I wanted. Um, wow. I couldn't afford driving lessons and I had to, had to, to, to work for it. Um, clearly there was always a financial thing my mum said that mathematics was my strongest subject um, but only um, if she put pounds and pence around each because uh, <laughs> otherwise I wasn't really that yeah. interested yeah. that was my mindset it was uh, from set into me yeah I mean it's um, it, it's really interesting when I compare that to young people nowadays and i mean i i i stereotype here and i'm, I'm going to apologize for generalizing here but it, it seems like a lot of young people are growing up with a sense of entitlement um and this kind of belief that they are owed things um have you come across this sort of entitlement kind of thing uh, when you speak to young people Absolutely. as well it, it exists but because um that's been the culture um you know the, the, the individuals themselves aren't to blame that's just the, 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 the message that's been given to them. And that's why I enjoy, you know, programs like this and, you know, particular listening to particular people and speaking to particular people um, because it's a myth that has to be broken um, because the opportunity is still there, uh, but it isn't going to be gifted to anybody. You know, I, I would have loved to have lived in Cornwall and there's quite a, a, a bit of publicity about the fact that um, I'm... Um, building a, a, you know, a, a property in Cornwall, um, but I don't live there. Um, but I had to leave. You know, I just, I, I, I didn't have any right to live where I was born. You know, that isn't, that isn't the way it works. If you're born into a wealthy family that lives in a beautiful house on the very best street, um, then unless they're just going to move out and give it to you, um, you don't have a right to be there. You have to earn your right to get to the place where your parents were. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do is, you know, is, is earn my right to um, return to my home county. It's so true. I think, um, uh, I suppose that the, the, the culture of social media has kind of encouraged this kind of instant gratification almost um, in the sense that, you know, um, you put something out there, you get a bunch of likes, you know, you, I mean, I remember hearing this thing about there's a bit in your brain that actually triggers when your phone notifies you of something. Yeah. And we're now so hooked onto this 
this rush of instant gratification that it's now it's created this feeling that well you know um i'm 16 i'm 17 i'm 18 i'm 19 and i i i deserve this and this and this because that's the way the world goes around now and it's i think it's trying to try, 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 try to change that a little bit is 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 uh hopefully what i'm trying to do with the podcast um so us a little bit about um your your background in terms of um your businesses um and and your kind of entrepreneurial kind of um early days if you like well um as i've revealed already i was selling popcorn at school from an early age <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was working in my my parents' guest house, um, and um, my dad's friend um, had a what they call you know like a tourist attraction. Um, it was a, a, a steam railway. Um, so I went there at thirteen years old, picking up litter, um, doing you know, again just anything that I could during the school holidays, cycling home um, to then help. My, my parents out in the guest house. You know, Saturdays were changeover day, cleaning day, and all that sort of thing. Um, so lots of sort of like manual work. I was I was poor at school. Um, I'm not academic. Um, I'm still not academic to this day. Um, I don't read books. I can't. I can't. I can't read books. And um, just my attention span wavers before the end of a page, um, and I have to start reading the beginning of the page again because I've, I've kind of switched off. It's, um, my mind needs a different sort of stimulation. I flick through the internet and grab bits and pieces, but I probably will you know, read a hundred different things on the internet rather than you know, just all about one thing. So school yeah. was a, a, really, really, a real challenge for me. Um, I think people could see that I was bright and then just thought I just was lazy because I wasn't doing well. Um, and I suppose I did shortcut it. You know, I, I didn't revise for exams and um, just done the bare minimum really but i was couldn't wait to get out of school and make some money i think if they paid me to be in school then maybe it might have been different um so when i left school i actually joined the air force um at six, so i left school at 16 and then applied to go into the air force and i think that was just a, an, an easy route for me um because i didn't have the qualifications you would get an education within the air force um and it was it was a regular income um so I joined the Air Force as an electrician, uh, and they they trained me to be an electrician. And as much as I loved the Air Force, and I quite liked the whole sort of like um, regimented lifestyle, everything being organized for me and everything, um, I didn't like being an electrician, hated it. I didn't like the fact that you had to continue doing more studies to um, learn new regulations and things. And um, if you join the Air Force at a particular sort of trade, you're only allowed to like, change trade by moving up. And an electrician was seen as a technical trade, which is at, um, up near the top. So my only option would have possibly been to um, try and be a pilot. But I mean, that would have been even more studying and everything. So as much as I loved the Air Force, um, I spoke to my parents and um, they said I needed to find a sales job. Clearly, that was the, my, my, my thing. I was always, even when I was in the Air Force, if I, if I could find something and then sell it for a few extra than I would do. Um, so I left the Air Force and applied for a job in the motor trade. Um, so my first job was in car sales. First job outside of the, the, um, the Air Force was, was in car sales. And um, I went for the, the interview and I was... I don't know whether some people say that it's fortune or um, whatever, but I went for the interview and they said that the 
best person that they'd had in car sales uh, to date um, had come from the armed forces. So they thought maybe we had the right attitude to do well in car sales. So that's where um, I started a car sales career. Um, and I really loved selling cars because then I did realize that I did like cars and I was sharing a, a passion with my father. I felt proud when I like, took a new car home. Um, uh, I remember in like, 1993 taking Escort Cosworth home. Uh, and uh, you know, my, my father was just so proud and I became more passionate about cars and the technology or the features and everything. And then you aim to be working for better brands. So that's probably where my underlying um, love of cars um, was brought to the front. Um, I was made redundant um, and um, opportunities were, were, were poor in Cornwall. Um, so I bought a car for a part exchange for £350, packed it all up. Um, and um, at the time, I was um, in a relationship with a girl from Newcastle upon time. I drove to Newcastle um, just with my car and my cases and went around visiting car dealerships to see whether the opportunities were better there because I knew that she would have been homesick or anywhere else. Um, and uh, I, I, I progressed my car, my, my, my motor trade sort of like um, career uh, in Newcastle upon time. I was always looking for a promotion um, and uh, you know, I wanted to better myself, get a better salary and all that sort of thing, because at that time, car sales was commission only. You know, there's no, no basic salary. Um, my family was expanding. And uh, I moved down south uh, to, to take up an, an opportunity there. And it was at that point then that my, my love for the car trade was wavering a little. I'd reached my full potential. And so I looked for a, a different role. And I found a, a role in business-to-business -business sales, um, which clearly I had the, the, the skills for because I was in sales already. Um, but it was in a, a specialist area of marketing. So um, I, was, I took that, that role on. Um, so I left quite a senior position in the, uh, um, in the motor trade to take on a junior role in a marketing um, company. And that's where I started my marketing career. And then sadly, that came to an end, um, again, through redundancy. And I think that was the, the real sort of light bulb moment then. Um, you know, I'd, I'd thought about when I was in the motor industry, doing my own car thing. Um, but, you know, my second redundancy forced me to establish my own company. Um, so I didn't do it from, you know, it wasn't, preempted, planned for years or anything like that. I was, I was kind of forced into that position. And that was in uh, late 2006. And that was the start of my, I suppose, you know, real success story. I mean, I mean, it, it sounds like you've, you've been through a lot um, and it sounds like there were some real kind of tough times, you know, being made redundant not once but twice, you know, um, having to relocate. What, what is it that kind of kept you going um, in those times when, you know, it just probably felt like life was probably really, really tough? Like what, what was it that just kept you waking up each and every day? Um, family, um, my responsibility to provide for my family. Um, you know, that was always, that's always what I was working to do. Um, 
but I just, you know, I had a, a, nobody else was going to look after them how I wanted to look after them. Um, so it was always my, my, my drive was to make sure that you know, my family um, was looked after. Um, I wasn't after any personal recognition. Um, my motivation, yeah, was, and I, I say now, you know, still today, I have a spreadsheet and I have like, targets on. Um, I have a personal target. If I set myself a, a target of buying a car, then the actual, I mean, I'm saying a small percentage of the, the, the total target, um, can't have your car as your the complete target, otherwise I'd be living in one of those on, a, on some Alpha driveway. Um, so that was the, the, the trade-off. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was all my, always my, um, always my family. And it wasn't easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've just opened up a, 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 an email, um, cause I save it as kind of a favorite. Um, my father died during like my journey. Um, and he didn't see the success. Um, he just saw a lot of the, the, the hardship. Um, he never saw me buy my first, um, what I class as decent car, um, which was a, a, a Porsche um, Carrera S. Um, so, it, you know, um, there was a lot of sort of like, uh, you know, mixed feeling. Um, so when I did, when I concluded the sale of my first business, and you know, I said earlier that I'd set this target of buying a, a, a Pagani um, if I achieved over a certain sales figure, I was a bit embarrassed um, by the situation. I, um, going from you know, trying to explain that to my mother. Um, so I knew she was going to hear about it because sometimes you just do things and you do them for yourself, but when you make a really, really big move, then it creates a wave. You know, I, I don't necessarily want people knowing all about my, my house or my cars and things like that. But sometimes when you spend a, a sizable sum of money, it becomes of interest. So I knew she was going to find out about this Pagani. And I think back to, you know, her growing up in a, um, a block of flats in um, Kettering. Um, and, you know, as I said before, they were the first sort of like um, generation of my parents to move into middle class. For, for me to then be spending nearly two million pounds on a Pagani, um, I didn't know whether she would understand it. Um, so I, I sent her an email to, um, <laughs> rather than get shouted at on the telephone. And she replied to me, um, and I'll, I'll read this um, personal email. Um, she said, yeah. um, um, I often wish Dad could have seen your success. He would have burst with pride just as long as he'd survived all the traumas along the way. It wasn't a smooth road to success, was it? Don't make that sort of money without taking risks and being good at making the right decisions. Enjoy it. You've earned it. Love, Mum. That wow. summarises you know, everything, wow. really. Um, and that's why I can't be ashamed of my success because it's made my parents proud. Um, and although I don't, hopefully don't you know, um, rub it into people's noses when I'm seen as being... Um, to flash, um, you know, that, 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 that was what helped me get to where I am today. It's amazing that, um, I mean, you, 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 I've, I've found that actually, um, beyond the money that you earn, what makes you happy is not knowing you've got a lot of money in the bank. It's the satisfaction of knowing that you've earned it. And it's the hard work that you've put into to getting where you are. And that's what gives you the happiness, I find. Um, 
you know, and 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 knowing that it's 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 well deserved, but also the freedom that comes with it. Um, and it it just it just sounds like it's a really beautiful story that your mom kind of comes back and says, you know what, I'm actually really proud of you, and and that must be that must feel amazing because um, because you, you are right in the sense that sometimes I find it a bit embarrassing to tell my dad that I've bought a nice a nice TV or a nice watch or whatever because. Um, you know, we, we grew up in a council estate in London and all we ever knew was being kind of poor. And in my dad's eyes, being, um, being flashy is in his eyes, embarrassing, you know, not great. Um, and that's the kind of culture he comes from. Um, but so I can, I can sort of sense that kind of, you, you went through a similar sort of situation when you were trying to speak to your mom, to, to, to your mom about it. Um, in terms of um, uh, your advice for young people, then um, you know, for young people who are in a situation where they're in school, they're not having, they're, they're not, they're not in the best place in terms of grades, academics, um, probably getting a bunch of really bad grades. Um, you know, to what degree do you think society plays too much of a, too much of an importance on academics? Um, you know, the traditional route of going to school, getting grades, going to university, get a degree and then get a job. To what degree is there so much of a focus on that? And, you know, what can kids do practically today, in, in your view, um, if they're not doing so well academically? I think um, the academic thing is probably more important today than it was when I was a, a, a child, um, just because you know, application forms and things like that are going to become just about automated. Um, so, you know, if you look on Indeed or something like that, um, you know, you've got to check boxes to say that you've got those qualifications before you can even you know, submit a CV or something to somebody. Um, so I don't want people to look at my circumstance and think, okay, well, you know, he's only got um, three O levels of which his parents had to pay for one because the school didn't think he was good enough. Um, and everything's going to be, you know, fine and dandy, um, because it is harder. You know, when, when I, when I, um, started my businesses, um, there wasn't as much exposure on the internet. So you, um, could, um, you weren't competing with so many people on a national basis, you know, as long as you got yourself out there in front of people kind of locally, then people can Google to see what other options there were and everything. So it was a bit easier. Um, you know, there wasn't any filtering of CVs and things. I went in front of the person that made the decision and he read the CV or the well, most likely just the covering letter um, to see whether he likes it. So it is more difficult for um, people these days. Um, so uh, academic qualifications are good, but it just means that they pitch themselves at a different rung of the ladder. Um, and there can't be somebody that's got a degree. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you know, be working in a, a, a legal, office, legal office tomorrow. You know, you might have to do your, your stint at McDonald's and what have you, um, first. But, um, you know, they, everybody's got to show willing. Um, that's a problem that people with very high academic qualifications, sometimes they just expect doors to open and they, they don't. Um, so the people without the academic qualifications, maybe you have to, you know, pitch yourself slightly lower as far as um, your starting point. Um, I, I, I don't know that I'd recommend many people went from school to starting their own business. Um, I think it's, it's good to work for other people um, to see how they do things. 
um, to get paid for uh, making mistakes on, the, on the, <laughs> during their time. Um, so you, you just have to aim your sights right. Um, but it's also a lot easier to get a job when you've got a job. Um, so just get your foot in the door, you know, do something. Um, you know, my best feature was always common sense, which then translate, translated into to attitude. Um, I think that you, if you, if you're working for somebody, some people, um, that, you know, they're asked to get paid extra for being given some extra responsibility during temporary holiday cover. Uh, you know, you, you should be taking the opportunity to show your employee you're capable, you know, go above and beyond, um, the, the nine to fivers and jobs worths are, are, are not going to be um, put up for pr- promotion by these people. You know, these people that are running these businesses have got, a, you know, have got a mindset. Um, they're successful people. They're at the top. Um, they will be looking for people to succeed them. Well, certainly, you know, people like me do. Um, so we recognize the people that are just put in the effort. Um, you know, during the, the football thing, there's, you've got the football final late on a Sunday evening. So you, as a gesture, tell your staff that they can come in later, you know, on the, the, the Monday morning. Um, and then you have somebody say, well, I'm not really into the football. Um, I've got to do some work on the Monday morning anyway. Uh, so um, can I have that time off on another time? Because everybody else is getting time off. Just, yes, that's the right thing. Um, and everybody should have an equal entitlement. But to, to the, the, the person that's working every single day, um, and which I do, um, just doesn't send a very clear, a very good message. It doesn't have a lot of, um, doesn't install me with lots, lots of confidence that that person really is all about that job. You know what? There's this, um, there's this, this thing I once heard about asking for a pay rise, and there's two ways to go about it. Either you walk into your boss's office and ask for a pay rise, or you can sit your boss down and say, right, okay, our target is this right now. If we hit this target, is that something which you'd be happy with? You know, if we were to exceed our target by 10%, would that would that sound good to you? And they might say yes. And then you say, right, okay, I'm going to do A, B, and C, E, D, E, F, G. If we hit this target and if we have these month, these weekly reviews of where we're at with performance and how we're doing, and if we hit that number, then we can have a conversation about pay, right? That's a much better way of doing it. Um, but there's this kind of belief that people are entitled to a pay rise and they kind of think that by, by knocking on their boss's door, um, they should get paid extra for doing what they're doing right now. seems quite bizarre. Um, and, uh, you know, guys yeah. don't get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I recognize, um, you know, people that are putting the effort. I mean, my, my whole business now, my marketing business, what have you, um, uh, it's all about anticipating consumer behavior. Um, so um, I, I look at circumstances and see you know, what the effects are likely to be, how people are likely to react to it. So I'm very, not very often shocked by people and um, what people do. Um, I don't think I can be hurt by people that don't know me um, for their comments or whatever, that, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think only my family can surprise me and disappoint me and upset me. Um, and that's the same with people. And, you know, I, when, when you, that you have within your business, you can see the people that are, are, are good and are passionate and what have you. Um, and it's impossible then, 
given you know the journey that we have had to get where we are that you know i haven't like inherited a business or anything like that i've built that business it's impossible not to be attracted to people with the same attitude as you um so uh, every time you see that being demonstrated um it's got a ticker box there's of course there's sort of like legislation about treating people equally and what have you but we're not robots um so uh you know that there's always there's extra above and beyond is always going to be recognized um and by uh, you know throughout throughout life um so people shouldn't be disheartened and what have you that uh, just because they're sat in the same office with somebody else that clearly isn't as passionate about them and they're both at the same sort of level and everything um, at a particular time, you know, just keep keep putting yourself out there, uh, making the right noises because it will be recognised at some point. You mentioned um, you mentioned in your in your tips for for young people who want to start a business that you know um, to try and get a job in a in an area of work that you've got an interest in um and 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 learning from that and using that as a basis for starting your yep. own business um why do you think that's that's uh that's important because um, the hours you put in um I, you know, I've, I've listened to i listen to other people talk and everything and um some people are very very regimented um about that you know that they keep their work life um things separate um and that you know they do nine to five Monday to Friday and they switch their phone off or they spend, you know, exceptional quality time with their families and things. And that's great. You know, that might be working for them, but then there's other people um, that exist. And um, I don't have a difference between work and personal life. You know, my, my, my life is my life. I love my job. Um, I was working before we started uh, talking today um, and I was working at you know, 10 o'clock last night or something because I, I just enjoyed doing it. Um, but I've also, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that now that I enjoy the flexibility of the, um, I'll spend time with my family whenever I want to spend time with my family. And then if my phone goes, if it's, a, if it's not disturbing a moment or something, then I'll answer it. If it's, if um, I haven't got time to do it because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm doing something, else then i won't answer it but I, i'm not sure that uh, a serial entrepreneur or a hugely successful businessman um, introduced the nine to five working hours um you know life is life and my, my life is is i have work in my life i have you know um, family in my life but it's still it's just one life i think um there's this kind of belief that there is this kind of almost this this golden place called balance right and and this this kind of pot of gold exists where you can achieve this ultimate balance between everything but i don't think it actually exists i don't think there's actually people out there that can say you know what right i've achieved the perfect balance between between my work between my personal life between everything else because i think i think it's actually just life as you said everything just kind of gets blended in um and to try to achieve this kind of right okay, between nine and five, I'm going to do my work. Between six and eight, I'll do this, and then between eight and ten, I don't think it. I, I don't think it works in my view because I think I think ultimately, if you love what you do, um, it all kind of gets blended into well, something. That's balance. If you love what you do, if you love your work and you love your family, then there's the balance. 
So, yeah, you know, exactly. that's, that's when it all becomes, and my, my family don't mind because they know that, um, you know, what's the day today, Saturday, um, days. Um, so, you know, on Tuesday, if my, if the weather's nice, then I might like go out with my family for a few hours. Um, but I still answer my phone yeah. and I still answer my emails when I have a moment to do it. And then, if, and then if I don't have yeah. enough time during that thing, then I'll do that on the evening. Um, I won't let anything fall over onto the next day. Um, so I make sure that everything that can be done in a day, because I otherwise don't sleep, um, is done for that day. But I love my life. And I'm really, really happy um, with my life because I found the balance. And the balance is loving my work as much as I love my family. And it's not sad. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that, that's, just, that's, that's yeah. the perfect balance. And it's very, you know, you've got to be very fortunate to find that. Well, let's, let's talk about how you managed to find... Um, and get to a place where you love what you do. Um, what would be your advice, aid for young people who are not sure what they want to do? They they want to, they 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 do want to um, make a business or make a living out of doing what they what the, what they love doing. Um, from your experience, what would be your sort of top three to five practical tips that someone can do today um, to help them find? that kind of uh, passion and love for what they do every single day? Wowzers. Um, that's a good one. Um, I mean, they, they, everybody knows what they they love. Um, you know, if they're in a, a job or something like that, they know what elements that they really like. But um, the problem is, is that not all of it is workable. You know, um, I, I do get approached a lot for advice, Um and that's why I have an Instagram account um, is because I, I, I want to speak to people. I want to kind of um, try and level out um, the, the, the playing field so that it isn't just full of people which um, are, are not genuine. Um, but, you know, some of the some some people want to make money from things that you, you can't make money from. Um, so. It's a really difficult question, uh, Mel. I'm, 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 I'm struggling to think of a a response. You, you, you just kind of, you know, I don't know that you can go out and find what you want to do. I think it just, you, you, you know, you know what you know what your passions are and what your interests are, and you just have to weigh up whether there's any whether there's a, a, an opportunity. Whether there's a... And I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess for you, in many ways. Um, your pa- it wasn't like you woke up one morning and and decided you were going to go into business. It was kind of a, it was it was a process, right? You went through life struggles, um, and I think what what seems clear to me when I when I hear about your story is that, um, you you found what you love doing as a result of trying many That's different it. things and then getting to a place where you realized, yeah, this is where I want to be. And I think I think there is this kind of misconception. It, it's it's and it's, it's it's happened to me whereby I thought, you know what, if I just sit in a dark room and ask myself what I love doing, suddenly the light bulb will go on and I'll, it will it will come to me. But you know, if I if I look at my life, it was it was you know the, the reason I love podcasting so much is because it was literally me trying a million different things before it was blog pieces, it was social media, it was doing it was just speaking to people and then I tried this app, did the first one, loved it, and then I did the second one, I loved it. And the process is what I enjoyed is what I enjoy. Um 
but it wasn't like I woke up one morning and realized, yeah, I want to be a podcaster. It just, it's never, it's never worked like that. And I think people don't quite appreciate actually when you're young, you've got to try as many things as possible and just get yourself yeah, out there. Right? You, you, yeah, you've, you've answered your own question perfectly. Um, no, absolutely. I you know, tried all sorts of bits and pieces um, to try and find it. I was, I think I was really fortunate. Um, I think my, my motivation um, was always the financial side of things. And I think uh, uh, you know, during my younger days, I probably would have done most things for money um, just to try and you know, provide that um, security for my family. Um, and then I was just really fortunate. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed doing the motor trade at, at the time, but um, but then I remember, you know, some days were harder than others, that some days I just, you know, did struggle to to, to go into work a bit. Um, but I just needed that financial security. Um, I'm just now really fortunate that um, I never wake up not wanting to do what I do. Um, I, I, I would be, I'd be really, my days would be emptier and not as happy if I didn't have anything work-wise to do that day. It's, it's just adding so much you know, quality. Um, it's, I'm very, very fortunate. I was going to say, I mean, you you perhaps have the ability to, you know, take a six-month holiday or take a year holiday, just just take some time out. But it, it sounds like um, you're in a place where actually, you know what, if you were to wake up on a day and not know what you were doing and not have a, a purpose, not have a objective or a mission or a goal, it would drive you a bit Absolutely. crazy, right? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my best holidays are when I can mix family and, and, and work. Um, so I still get the... the buzz from it all um and i have family time as well but my family you know they they enjoy my work um it's, it's we're just really fortunate to have found that, that that super balance i know it's not the same for everybody but i think if you've got people around you if your family see the benefits of it and everything you know i'm talking about you know motivation and everything you know we, we talk about money um and um you know, sometimes it's seen as really, really dirty to say that you're kind of motivated by money. Um, and I remember that um, when I was on holiday once in Mexico that um, we went through this little village and um, my mother um, went to the drama she said, oh, my God, this is so sad. Look at all these you know, poor people um, living in shacks and they're walking barefooted along the roads and all that sort of thing. And this, this, this uh, Mexican guy said, no, no, no. He says, these are the richest people in the world. He said, because, you know, that little shack, they own that shack. Um, you know, that land there that they, you know, that um, that's their own land. You know, they um, don't have to go to a supermarket. They grow their own crops and things. They don't have any credit cards or anything. You know, these people are, like, really, really rich. Um, and that's true to a point. Um, but then you have uh, the, the, the comfort side of things. Um, so what would they do about medical care? You know, there isn't, there isn't, you know, the NHS service or anything like that. What if a member of their family was really, really poorly? Um, then they wouldn't be so rich, you know, and then that's where the, 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 the wealthier people uh, would have an advantage. So, you know, the sad fact of the life is, you know, money can buy, buy happiness. Um, and, you know, there's, there's comfort levels and you've got to make sure that you get, you've got, you can't be ashamed of wanting to um, provide a nice home um, Giving you feeding your family good quality food, um, and if they're unwell, affording you know excellent um, health care. Um, 
So people out there, you know, don't be, don't think that you can't talk about money. It's just uh, what you do with that money that's super important. Um, and comfort levels are different for, for, for everybody. Um, but poverty and hardship um, is really stressful in any relationship. So you can have the people that are madly in love with each other. As soon as, like, red letters coming in, um, you know, huge bills and things, that relationship will be under pressure. So um, it's money um, can buy happiness, sadly. Yeah, absolutely. How do you um, balance, and it, it's something that I struggle with often, is how do you balance the 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 pressure that you put on yourself to achieve bigger goals um, and, and to keep going with, I suppose, an element of being being happy and being grateful um, for everything in your life in the sense that is it, to, to what degree is it easy to fall into the trap of not being happy until you've achieved a certain goal, right? And you then fall into the trap of constantly striving and striving and striving, but not being happy until you get it. Because that kind of makes sense. Like, how, how do you balance that? Um, I do put myself under tremendous pressure because um, I, I'm really empathetic. Um, uh, so, um, you know, I feel that everybody's pain. Um, when people come to me, um, you know, with, with, with their problems and things like that, I do want to help everybody. Um, but um, I have to, like, you know, make... A, a list of sort of like responsibilities and the the way that uh you know priorities rather than responsibilities and you can't help everybody um and sometimes helping people is a short-term fix i've been involved with charities where i've tried to make them sort of like um self-sustainable by you know encouraging them to do things which will bring in an income and what have you and sometimes you just you know pouring water into the sea um just doesn't you, you just it's just not measurable in any way um so i do struggle um uh, but um i suppose um i i just i just always you know flip back to these sort of my, um, my targets you know i look to the future um and um you know i look at i look at what's around me um you know this this whole um, pandemic thing's been a, a leveler for everybody um priorities changed um everybody has has changed i think in one way or the other um and the initial part was really 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 tough um because i could see the suffering everywhere um but yeah it's, it's, I've, I've, I've taught myself not to to that that if you help too many people and then you stop helping yourself and then you'll be of no use to anybody. Um, so you, you do have to look after your own um, health. Um, you have to make some tough decisions, but in the, the um, quest of all round goodness. Um, so I suppose I'm not very good at taking pressure off myself, but I try not to let that burden anybody else. And, and that's what drives me. Um, so it's, it's not, a majority of my life so it doesn't cause me a great deal of unhappiness i suppose it's only when i get asked a question like this that i reflect and um think oh god yeah cracky um it isn't easy i i, I just don't reflect too much i suppose yeah i suppose also i mean you, you mentioned um before we began obviously your, your office is surrounded by 
you know, um, some some amazing stuff. And I suppose that must be must be quite nice to be able to kind of um, look around and 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 see what you've achieved uh, and see what and see what you've accomplished. That 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 must kind of be quite. Quite, quite the motivating factor to keep yeah, going. Yeah, and that's right? where, uh, I suppose, that's the whole point of not reflecting you know, uh, and you know, looking at the, the majority, and the majority's good, isn't it? So, yeah, there's a, there's a tiny bit of negative in everybody's life. Um, I don't think anybody's got 100% perfection, um, but it's just not spending too much time reflecting on that. Yeah, indeed. Um, I guess, uh, last two questions. Um, firstly, uh, what would you want your your legacy to be? Do you ever sort of think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the first things I'd done when I sold my um, first company um, was um, set up a, a, a kind of trust fund for my family. Um, so uh, I know that they are looked after. Oh, God, my, my um, front gate's going mental. Um, can I just quickly answer? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. <laughs> So sorry, no. That's all right. That's all right. Delivery the postman was really persistent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was Saturday and just wants to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> but there's buzzers ringing everywhere. Um, apologies. So yeah, so when I um, saw my first company, then I um, set up a, a fund for my family. Um, so um, that should last a lifetime. Um, so that's kind of them ticked off, um, and now um, I can focus on uh, other sort of like opportunities and everything. I've been looking at um, my next sort of, like I said to you before, I did actually form a charity a few years ago, um, done some projects out in Asia, um, but it, it was um, it did make a difference. But I I wanted more accountable difference to be made. So um, I'm looking now at a sort of like a, a scheme um, and it's not going to be imminent. It's going to take me two or three years to get my head around it and get the funds in place and everything. Um, but I do want to help people um, start their own business. Um, and, you know, when we spoke earlier about, you know, my tips and everything for uh, new, new businesses, it's, it's somebody having the kind of the security of knowing they're not, <laughs> that they're going to have a roof over their head and be able to put food on the table is preventing some people from taking that step. So maybe if I can tick that box off, uh, make sure that um, I can cover their basic costs it might assist in uh, people in, in, in boosting business. Um, I'll be focusing in Cornwall, if I'm perfectly honest with you, um, because that's my, my, my home county. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that would be my next thing. I w- I'd like to do some sort of like entrepreneur um, initiative for, for, for people in Cornwall um, so they don't have to rely uh, so much on external funding, which they do at the moment. You know, the county would be bankrupt if it wasn't 
for the, the, the subsidies and things. Yeah, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Um, and finally, uh, for those that want to find you online, uh, where can they find you? Um, just Instagram. Um, I do have a Facebook account, but that's very, very close family and friends. Um, so they find me on Instagram, um, aidade underscore Harris. Um, and I, I welcome questions and things like that. Uh, and you know, any advice I can give, I will find the time to, to speak to people and, and help them in any way I can. And I'm quite happy to you know, talk to people in person, what have you. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd love to see everybody successful. And that's my whole thing is that you know, I think I say on my, my, my bio or whatever, inspire, but still be inspired. You know, I look up to lots of people. I'm not at the top of my game or the top of the tree. Um, I'm in the ladder as well. Um, and, and some people I see are absolutely phenomenal. You know, so. But make sure you're influenced by the right people. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, follow follow the right people on social media is is a is a good starting point, yeah, definitely, but, isn't it? But make it's sure you difference. you are following the right people because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fakeness out there. You know, uh, you know the, the, the 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 wealthiest people aren't always the most visible um, because they they don't have to be. You know, the, um, the person in the room with the biggest voice um, and the flashiest clothes uh, generally got an agenda. Um, so the, the people that have got no agenda will, will, will go unnoticed a lot of the time, but they're probably the people that you need to be able to um, seek out and um, speak to. Yeah, it's true. I mean, pe- pe- people often slate social media as this horrible thing, but I think it comes down to who you follow and, and how you how you use it. You know, it can be a bad or it can be a great thing. It just depends on how you use it. Um, Adrian, thank you so much for your for your very valuable time this Saturday morning out of your very busy schedule. Um, it's been such an honour and pleasure uh, speaking to you and uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch and uh, thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity. Man. Really appreciate it. Great to meet thank you too. Cheers.